um, we thank God. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a different uh, lesson. Last week, we um, picked back up um, in um, Psalms 27, and and uh, and I'm and I'm telling you, we will finish it. It was wonderful last week um, because we had picked it up after a while. Psalms 27, um, but but uh, in my studying, the Lord really gave me something um, that really we need to talk about. There's some things that we need to get into. Um, as it concerns the Lord and as it concerns the word, um, I was uh, preparing for um, to continue with uh, with Psalms 27. And we're going to talk about uh, biblical compassion or that compassion of the church. Um, I want you to um, take your Bibles if you have them handy or you can follow along on the screen if you're looking at it. Um, for Second Corinthians chapter four, starting at verse three says this, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Amen. Okay. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Amen. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. So for our reading today, that was 2 Corinthians, that was chapter 4, that was verses 3 through 6. This particular scripture here is, um, we're going to use this scripture almost as a springboard. So it's not that we're going to talk exclusively about this, but we are going to get into um, this um, use the scripture to to kind of um, start our conversation or this lesson in biblical compassion because this is something the church this is something we we, we need to hear this is something that um, the church um, you know as sad as it it is to say we struggle in this area and and it's not confined to any one church I've seen many 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 churches and and they all and many of them seem to struggle in the area of compassion. I don't know what what has happened um, um, to each one in particular, but what I do know is is that there is a deficit in the church body when it comes to the area of compassion. Now we are not surprised by this, okay? Because the Lord did tell us that in the last days the love of many would wax cold. Now, if you want to know why everyone is specifically doing, um, do, uh, in the in the grander sense, then that is the reason, because the Lord has told us very simply and very plainly that in the last days the love of many would wax cold, and what we are seeing is that love waxing cold, and what the the sad part is 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 that we get it that it's waxing cold in the world we understand that 
But the sad part is, is, is that it's wax and coal even in the church, okay? And this is something that, that really, really um, is important because the church, we can't afford to have that. We can't afford to have that happen at all, but happening it is nonetheless. When the church stops caring, that's always a problem. That's always going to be a problem. When the church stops caring, the church is put in a position that they really cannot afford to be in. But so many of us these days are in that very situation. We've got saints that won't give to the poor. We've got saints that won't give to ministries. Uh, we've got saints that won't partake in ministry. We have so-called saints that will not aid one another. We have saints that are willing to provide for charities outside the church. Not saying there's anything wrong with providing for charities outside the church. Doing good is always a good thing to do. But what about to those that are of the household of faith? And I have seen a discrepancy in the household of God where the widows and the orphans go neglected. And that is not at all what God has called us to do. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, um, 3 through 6, verse number 3 says, <clears throat> but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And I want you to think about that. I'm going to put, for those of you who are looking on your screen, I'm going to put all of the uh, scriptures up at once. And so for you, you ought to see the entire set. Again, we're going to springboard off of this. When the church family stops caring, or becomes indifferent. And I want you to keep in mind, Second Corinthians chapter four, and I want you to look at that verse three. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And I want you to keep that in mind, firmly in mind. When the church stops caring or becomes uh, indifferent, because indifference is the opposite, um, as it were, to compassion. Okay, and that caring, the opposite of that would to be indifferent. Um, when the church stops caring or becomes indifferent, okay, to the plight of humanity, to to the things that are going on, it doesn't matter what the situation is. Okay, when the church becomes indifferent because they have stopped caring, at the end of the day. And in a nutshell, it is the lost, those that are lost, that are deprived of direction. And it is the sick, those who are laden in sin, 
who are refused the one and only cure, Jesus Christ. That's the nuclear fallout, as it will, or as it were, when the church stops caring. And this is a sad indictment because more and more I see it. I, it you, don't, you don't have to go far to look at it. You don't have to go far to hear whispers of it. The lack of compassion, the lack of, 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 of concern, the lack of sympathy, the lack of empathy, all of these different things. It's, it, we get it that it's in the world. But I'm going to challenge you today. Why is it in the church? Because it doesn't have to be there. And it is not God's will that it be there. He knew it was going to be there. Remember, Jesus told us very plainly. In Matthew 24, as he talked to the disciples about last things or the end days, how was this thing going to be wrapped up, Jesus? How, how, what's going to be the signs of the ends of the time and all of these different things? And Jesus put it very plain. And as plain as he put it today, put it back then, he's putting it just as plain today. He said, the love of many shall wax cold. And I want to challenge us today that although the love of many is waxing cold, Jesus foretold us. So we know that this is what's going to happen. But I want to challenge you who are listening to this, wherever you are, whenever you are, this is heard all over the world. Amen. Glory to God. But wherever you are, no matter what time of day it is, when you hear this, I want to challenge you that though the love of many is waxing cold, don't let that be true of you. And that's what the challenge don't let that sad indictment be true of you. Even if it was true, even if you did walk in that or guilty of that, I'm challenging you, I'm challenging us to rise up and be the hands and the arms of the Lord, the feet of the Lord. Because the feet of the Lord... If we operate as his feet, we'll go to those who are hurting and those who are in need. Do you understand? If we are the arms of the Lord, then we will embrace those that are lonely. And if we are the hands of the Lord, then we will help those that are in trouble. So, I, so we, I'm challenging us to do that, to be the hands and the arm and the feet of our Lord, to not let the indictment that is that the love of many in, shall grow cold, shall wax old and wax cold in the last days, because we are living in the last days and it is playing out. And the sad part is, is that it is playing out even amongst those who are supposed to be the redeemed. And I'm telling you, that ought not be the case. It is not God's will for that to be. But nevertheless, it is a situation and a circumstance that is present and accounted for. When the church stops caring or becomes indifferent, I'm going to say it again. 
the lost are deprived of direction and the sick are refused the one and only care or the one and only cure. This is the cost that is way too high. And I'm telling you, the church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the believers because the building is not the church. We got people right now messed up because they think church is a building. Church ain't never been a building. Physical building is what I'm speaking of. It is a building, but it is a building made of lively stones. Amen. In other words, the building, the church consists of baptized, born again, believers in Christ Jesus who have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That constitutes the church. It is not the brick and mortar. It is the people. Okay. Amen. Church is supposed to happen wherever you are because you are the church. If you've repented of your sins, <clears throat> if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, if you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost as outlined in the book of Acts chapter two, verses 38, you can't get in no other way. That's the way you got to do it. And if you have done that, then guess what? Congratulations. You are part of the church. And as the church, becoming indifferent or refusing to care is a, it, the, the cost of that should be deemed a cost in your eyes that is too high to pay. In other words, it should be something where you say, you know what, I'm, uh, you know what, man, uh, that I, 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 that's too high. I can't pay that. I'm not going to pay that. I refuse to pay that. And that's exactly where you and I should be. Just imagine yourself, you going to buy something and, you know, and maybe you wanted to get it or whatever, and you thought it might've been a good idea or a good purchase or whatever. Then you went in there and you, you start turning that, 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 uh, that price tag over, you know, the one that was conveniently turned over. So you couldn't see the price or how about the stuff that don't even have a price on it. You got to go ask somebody because you know if you if you got to ask somebody about the price you you more than likely probably cannot necessarily afford it but then you see that thing what regardless even if you do have the money you realize that man no that that's not worth it you know the price that they're asking for that is not worth it well guess what that same mentality needs to be a mentality that we as the church have on certain things and one of those things that we should have that mentality that says hey you know what the 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 the, the you know the the price of this is way too high it should be on the area of caring and indifference Choosing to be indifferent and choosing to not care should be something that when you look at it, the, the price of that thing, the cost of that thing should be too high. Why? Because when we pay that cost, remember, the lost are deprived of direction. When the church stops caring, when the church becomes indifferent, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore then the lost are deprived of direction. They don't have a place to go where they can get direction because we, the church who have the direction, we refuse to give it. When we pay that price, when we decide that we want to be indifferent or we want to no longer care, or you know what, I'm just, I don't care no more. 
I put my work in, I put my time in, I don't, I'm gonna let somebody, I don't care anymore. When we do that, the moment you decide to do that, guess what? The Lord said that he had this treasure in earthen vessels. And when you decide that you, do you understand what the treasure is? The treasure is God himself. It is the word. It is, it is this, your soul that has been regenerated because of obedience to the word of God. It is all of the things that God has put in you the fruit of the spirit that is growing and maturing in you. These, these, all of this is the treasure. All of that. And nestled within this treasure, this wonderful package, because the treasure is not just one thing. It is all of the things that God has put in you and is doing in you. And one of the things that God has put in you or should have put in you, in, and, and it should be in you if you were, if you part of church, it is the word of God. And if you decide today that you no longer care and you're done, man, listen, that word is the cure for the sickness of sin. And if you stop caring and if you become indifferent, then those who are sick, you're refusing to give them the cure. And what kind of morality is that? We got to refuse to walk in that. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three, put it plainly. But if our gospel be hid, that's the message. That's the truth. That's the cure. But if it's hidden, if you stop caring, if you become indifferent, if you decide that you're done, then it's hid to them that are lost. Verse four says, in whom the God of this world, little G-O-D, that's the devil, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why did the devil do it? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. When you decide that you don't care, when you decide that you're going to become indifferent and you don't, and you're just not going to do anything, you're not going to work for the Lord. You're just going to be a bump on the log. You're just going to try to receive, receive, receive. But you're never going to give, give, give. You're not going to reach out. You're not going to share that word. Well, you need to understand something. Even when you decide to not do something, you are doing something. The problem is, is, is that when you ain't working for the Lord, I don't care how you slice it and dice it, you're working for the devil. And that's exactly what you're seeing right there. See, because the only one who profits in the situation when we hide the gospel, when we won't share, when we won't reach out, when we won't be the arms and the hands and the feet of the Lord, you know, the only one who prospers in that, the only one who, who's all feeling good and eating popcorn, that's the devil. Why? Because the word just told you in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number, verse number 4, that in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. If you don't share it, you're hiding it to them who are lost. 
And these one, those ones who are lost are the very ones that the devil is working hard and overtime to make sure they stay lost. And at one point, you need to remember, the devil was working hard to make sure you stayed lost. But the glorious light of that gospel got to you. And you know who I'm talking to. Each and every person who hears this, you know that, that one day, the, the glorious light of the gospel got a hold of you. You know you weren't always living right. You know you weren't always doing right. I don't care how much time you have in this. You were not always doing what you were supposed to. You too at one time were blinded by the lies and the schemes of the devil and you was on your way to hell to burn right next to him. But somebody who decided that they did care Someone that they that decided that I'm not going to be indifferent. God used that someone to share that word. And here you are today. But you got to keep it going. Each one got to reach one. You can't take what, you, what has, you've been blessed with and keep it all and just hoard it for yourself. See, indifference simply means a lack of interest or concern. So when a person becomes indifferent, they don't, they're just not interested. They don't, they just don't care. Okay. When a person is indifferent and is indifferent, then it means that everything is in, is a person becomes in, is indifferent on a matter. Let me explain it that way. It means that that matter is, is not really that important to them. Okay. It, it means that, that whatever happens, happens. It's a little or no concern to them. They just have a lack of interest and there's a total lack of concern. And a sad indictment is, is that that is in the church. Jesus said that in those last days, the love of many will wax cold. And that's not just in the world. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that that indictment is also for the church. Because I'm telling you, and I'm sure you've seen it yourself, how such a lack of concern and compassion seems to run rampant among those who call themselves Christian. Now, there are four things to know about love because when we talk about compassion and we talk about um, being the hands and the and the arms and the feet of the Lord okay we're talking about love okay when we when we talk about refusing to walk the road of being indifferent and refusing to to let to have the have it be lawfully um um have yourself lawfully accused of not caring because you really just don't care. If, if, if we are to not be those who don't care, if we are to not be those that are indifferent and, 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 and nothing matters, if, if, if we are to be 
those if we are to be those individuals, then what we're really talking about is, is that we need to be walking in love. We need to be operating in love. Okay. Because, because that compassion and those things, those things are motivated by love. And we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later, but since we are talking, um, about, uh, are going to talk about those things, let's build a, a bit of a foundation as it were, as it concerns love. Now, the scripture set that you, that I've given you, um, is second Corinthians chapter four, verses three through six. Now we're going to start to move into some other scriptures. Those of you who are watching the, 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 the screen will keep the second Corinthians chapter four verses three through six. So you need to make sure that you get your Bible because you're going to need to turn through some pages. Okay. Or whatever you, or if it's on a tablet, be ready to, to hit your button so that you will be able to, to follow along. There are four things to know about love as it concerns God. Okay. And these four things are beyond the simple fact. Okay. Spiritual fact. And in case you didn't know it, this is a fact I'm going to share it with you right now, beyond the fact that God is love. Now you'll see that in first John chapter four, verse eight, Bible says this, he that loveth knoweth, he that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. All right. So we know that God is love. All right. That that's that that's a given. And I just gave you first John four through eight. So if you didn't know it now, you know it. And now you can prove it because you got scripture to back it up. God is love. But there are four things to know about love beyond that fact. That's a good starting point. You need to start there. But there are four other things. And in fact, there are more, but we're just going to deal with four today. Okay. From the beginning, the first thing is, is the first one is this from the beginning, God chose to love mankind. So we already know God is love, but the first thing to know beyond that is, is that from the very beginning, God chose to love mankind. Look at uh, St. John three sixteen. Bible says this for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice what that, the A portion, for God so loved the world. Amen. Then if you mosey on down to the epistle of John, so 1 John chapter 4 again, but this time I want you to look at verse 19, the word says, we love him because he what? First loved us. So Prior to you loving God, me loving God, the word teaches us that he first loved us, okay? John 3.16 tells us that God made a way for this world. Why? Because he loved the world, okay? He made a way for us to be redeemed. He made a way for us to be saved. That's what First uh, John 3.16 is alluding to or is talking about or is getting ready to discuss. God loving us first. Okay. So before you did anything, before I did anything, before I said anything, okay. Before you said, God, I love you. He was saying, you put your name in it. He was saying, I love you. Before you got a chance to say, I love you back. He was already saying, I love you. Before you had a chance to think about it and decide that you, that, 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 that you, you know what? 
I do love you, God. Guess what? He was already loving you. Hey, glory to God. He was already loving you. In fact, when loving God was the last thing on our minds, you know what? He was loving us then too. God is love. And, the fact, and, and beyond that, we need to make sure we understand that God first loved us from the very beginning. God chose to love mankind. The second thing is that it has always been the desire of God or the will of God that mankind would love him in return. So number one is that God chose from the beginning to love mankind. But the second thing is, is that it was always God's desire and it's, or his will that mankind would love him in return. Look at Deuteronomy chapter six, verse number five. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That was a commandment. Amen. Amen. That's a commandment. And he's telling you very plainly, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. That means everything you got. It was the desire, the will of God that you and I love him with everything. Not a love that's hedged, not a love that's contingent. Some of you are already in trouble. You run because your love is conditional. See, you love God based on what God give for you, gives to you and what he can give to you. You always somewhere, Lord, if you do this, I'll do. And you Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. Uh-uh. How about you just do what you're supposed to do because he's God and he's worthy. How about you just do that without somewhere trying to think about how you're going to get something out of it and let God decide if he's going to bless you with something. See, God is worthy of your allegiance, my allegiance, whether he does anything for me or not. You don't understand something. He is God and I am not. And the creation don't have the right to judge the creator. No, 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 no. See, because God chose to first love me before I loved him in response. Love make you do some things. And because God is love, and we know that he loved us first, that means that without asking God, he's already done some things for me. He's been constantly <clears throat> doing things for me. So it is not right and it is not fair for me to predicate my service, making it contingent upon what I can get out of God. It is not right for me to base my service to God and it isn't wrong for you to base your service to God off on the contingency of whether or not he does something for you. If God doesn't do anything else for you, he don't have to. And he's already done enough. Love God for who he is. 
not just for what he can do for you. What God can do for you is only part of the many reasons for why we love him, but it is not the totality of the reasons. We love him because he's worthy. And there are many things about God that make him worthy. The chief of those things can never be what he does for you because he don't have to do the, anything for you. And if he should decide today, I'm not doing one more thing for you. Can you really stand there and judge him? Can, can I really blame him? If he were to decide not to do anything else, he's already done enough. Be appreciative of that. So that second thing is, is that God's desire is, is that we would love him in return. The third thing to know about love be, beyond that God is love is, is that it has always been the desire of God or the will of God that he would respond with love to mankind's love toward him. Now watch this. I already told you from the beginning, he chose to love. Number one, he chose to love. Number two, his desire is that we would love him in return. And num number three, I think I got that wrong. Number two is that we would love him in return. And But number three is interesting because number three is, is that if we loved him in return, it was always his desire and his will to bestow yet more love on us. <laughs> that, 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 look at it. It was always, it's always been God's will and his desire that he would respond to love. If we would love him, it's always been his desire that he would respond to that love. And how would he respond to that love? He would respond to mankind's love with even more love. Proverbs 8, 17. He says, I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. Did you see that A portion? Did you, did you see that? He says, this is God talking. He says, I love them that love me. Meaning there is an element or aspect of love or a, manif or a, a manifestation, show, so to speak, of God's love that we are allowed to experience as a result of us loving him. Do you see this whole circular um, pattern in the way love works? God starts out with love. Then he says, I want you to love me. So we start loving him. And then when we start, he starts receiving our love from us, then he responds to that love by giving us more love. Or in other words, loving us even more. Isn't God good? Isn't, isn't, isn't it wonderful? So that, 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 that's the third thing. The fourth thing, though, is, is that it has always been the desire of God and the will of God that mankind 
would properly love one another. I'm going to say that again. The fourth one is that it has always been the desire and will of God that mankind would properly love one another. So number one, God chose to love mankind first. Number two, God desires, God's will is that mankind would love him in return. Number three, if mankind loves God in return, it has always been the will or the, or the, the desire of God that if man would love God in return, that God would respond with yet even more love toward mankind. And then finally, number four of these four things to know about love beside the fact that God is love. So these are four additional things. That fourth one is, is that it has always been the desire of God. It's always been the will of God that mankind would properly love one another. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. I want you to look at verse 18 first. The word of God says this, Leviticus 19 and 18, thou shalt not avenge. That means you're not going to get even. You're not going to revenge. Somebody need to hear that because somebody's done you wrong and you want to get back at them. You need to cool your jets. You need to slow down before you respond that way. You're getting ready to act ugly. And the word of God's trying to help you. And if you are a child of God, then you need to choose what God said. And God said, thou shalt not avenge. So just slow down. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will repay. Yes, you probably have been done wrong. And yes, the person probably deserves it. But what they deserve is not meant to come by your hand. It's going to come by God. Let him fight that battle. You just settle down. Amen. Somebody need to hear that. Leviticus 19, 18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against thy child, against the children of thy people. That's really saying no man. You're not going to get even. And he says, and I don't even want you to stay mad. That's what he's talking about, being, bearing a grudge. Because somebody already who hears this the first thing they're going to say is, well, all right, well, I'm not going to get even, but I'm still mad. No, you're not. You can't stay mad. You have to let that go. It's going to poison your heart. God says, not only do I not want you to get even, I don't want you to stay mad. Don't bear no grudge. He said against, the scripture said, against the children of thy people. Now, if I bring that up to date, today, that means don't get even and don't, and, and don't operate in hate and anger against nobody, okay? You understand that. We're just taking the word, and as we come across, sometimes we got to bring some things out. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. You be, uh, Listen, he said, I am the Lord. Letting you know this ain't optional. And this ain't something that Moses came up with. 
God says, I want you to do this. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is not like, like when Moses permitted divorce. God ain't never permitted none of that. So much so that when the Pharisees tried to get Jesus talking about, well, you know, our father suffered us to, to, um, to, to put a bill of divorce to separate from our wife. Jesus had to set that all straight. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, let you do that. But from the beginning, it was not so. Yes, you're going to follow God. You got to go back to original design. Do it the way God intended to do it. Moses let them do that because he got tired of it. But God said, I, but that ain't what I told. That ain't what that ain't what I wanted you to do. And Jesus, who is God, had to correct all of that. Now, don't you just love God, how he just corrects all our foolishness? I just, I just love it. He was correcting it back then, and he corrects it today. He says, thou, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, saith the Lord. Now, look at verses, chapter 19, Leviticus 19. This time, I want you to look at verse 34, okay, because we're building here. But the stranger that dwelleth with you, shall be unto you as one born among you. Now, you understand when the Bible talks about the stranger, that the Bible, that in Old Testament language for, for a Gentile, okay? So this would be everybody else who is not a Jew, who is not a, a Jew by blood, okay? Amen, okay? But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. He's saying, I'm not, listen, you don't, you, you're not off the hook. This is not somebody just telling you something. God says, I am giving you this command. Now I want you to understand. These two scriptures, Leviticus 19, 18, and 19 and 18 and 19 and 34, they paint a picture that we need to understand when it comes to love and loving our neighbor. They paint the picture, verse 19 and chapter 19 and 18 show you that your neighbor is your kinfolk. All those that are related to you, all those that, that you know what I'm saying, that are related to you in some way or another, they are your neighbor. And then verse 34 tells you that everyone who is not related to you by blood or ethnicity or, or nationality, whatever you want to call it, they are also your brother as well. They are your neighbor. So in essence, what he's saying is when he tells you thou shalt love thy neighbor, he's saying you are supposed to love your neighbor and you don't get to pick who your neighbor is. Now, I know that hurts some, somebody who's going to listen to this somewhere in the world. Maybe when this is translated into the language that they're going to receive it in or however it goes, somebody in there, you, listen. You don't get to pick and choose who is your neighbor. God means for you to love your neighbor and your neighbor is everybody. It's the whole world. That's your neighbor. That's your neighbor. And that's the beauty of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 and 34, because they define who your neighbor is. In addition to giving us the command that you got to love them. Now, look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 37. And we're going to look at verses 37 and we're going to go through, amen, verse 40. And Jesus said, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul and with all thy mind. 
this is the first commandment, the great commandment. Now, we just read that, remember, in Deuteronomy um, 6 and 5. We just read that scripture. Now, Jesus here is quoting that. Look, look, look at what he, what he tells him now, verse 38. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened unto it. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus was only asked about what was the first greatest command. He gave them this one for free. They didn't ask for the second command. <laughs> but look at Jesus, who is God, how he bring up the second command. And there's a reason why, because you can't do the first command and not do the second one. Glory to God. Do you see how God, do, do you see how, how God just, just shut down all the foolishness before even, before you even get started? He, the man didn't even ask him about what the, what the second commandment was. Verse 36 said this, master, which is the great commandment in the, which is the great commandment in the law commandment he didn't say commandments plural he said commandment one singular <laughs> jesus told him thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul with all thy mind this is the first and great commandment and then notice what the man never asked him about the second one he said and the second is like unto it <laughs> you want to know about one great command god said i got more than one and before you get it twisted and start going the wrong way, let me share with you the second one. That's how Jesus was, that's how he operated. Before you get, before this man could go, go derail. Before this man could, 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 could feel you know, validated. Yes, I thought the same thing. I, I felt the same way. That is the Love the Lord with everything or whatever else it is. Yet God, do you see how God had to shut all of it down? So before he took his leave and even decided that he might have wanted to go treat somebody wrong, God had already shut it down. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, that man only asked about one, but God said, you need to be aware too. Hang all the law and the prophets. That means that every, all the laws that God have created, every last one of them, from the laws that were in the Old Testament to the laws that were created in the New Testament. Yes, there are New Testament laws. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. He wasn't done. And you find that throughout the New Testament. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Meaning that everything else that God has told us to do, you would find that you would naturally fulfill those requirements. You would naturally keep those things if you simply love God and love one another. You just do those two things and it'll cause you to do everything else. Amen. 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 See, of the four things that we just talked about, one and two, the church I have observed churches, um, let me just refer to it as a church universal, okay? 
the church tends to get and understand. Okay. We, we, we get God choosing to love us, you know, to the extent that we're able and we get God wants us to love him to the extent that we're able. We, we, we get that. We get that. We, we, we can understand that. But it's when we get to three and four that the church really starts to struggle in her understanding. That's where we start to derail. Okay. Because three is, is that his desire and will is that he would respond to our, he would respond with love to the love that we direct towards him and that mankind would properly love one another. We say properly because mankind's understanding of love nowadays and even back then, there are improper ways that man manifests love to fellow man. There are unauthorized ways. So that's why we say proper ways that mankind would properly, properly love one another. That is to say that mankind would love one another in accordance with the scripture. Do you hear what I'm saying? Love to us takes many different forms. Most of the many times, especially in this world, they tend to look at it in the physical aspect of it. And it is because of this that we have to use the phrase properly love. Those that engage in homosexuality, that is improper love. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Those who are heterosexual, so you, you, you but you want to live, but you want to play house. You want to live and, and have intimacy without being married. That's improper. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are improper, improper manifestations, so to speak, of love. Another improper manifestation of love would be love that is conditional. God don't want you to operate like that. God wants you to love for the sake of loving because he is love. Not I'm going to love you if you can do this for me. I'm going to love you if you do that. God, no, 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 no. God don't want that. He doesn't want you operating in that. And if you're operating in that, you got to stop with all that. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't operate in that. You can't be a homosexual and get heaven. That ain't gonna work. You can't be heterosexual playing house, talking about you going to heaven. That ain't going to work. You can't be picking and choosing who you're going to love based on what they can and can't do, talking about you going to heaven. You're not going. God don't like none of this stuff. 
And none of this stuff is going to get you into heaven. Three and four is where we struggle in our understanding. And there are many reasons why we struggle. But chief among them is the misconception that loving God and loving one another are independent of one another. That tends to be the biggest myth, the biggest problem right there is because see number three, see number three says that we would respond, that God, he would respond with love to the love that we, that mankind um, puts towards him. Okay. We get, we kind of get that part. We can kind of get that part. Okay. God, if you, if I love you, you're going to love me back. That's in, in essence, that's what number three is. If I love God, God's decided that if we love him back, if we love him, then he's going to love us back. He already loved us first, but, and he, and he wants us to love him. And, but then he says, but, and, and if you love me, I'm going to love you back even more. That's basically what, what, what number three is talking about. And we can kind of get that. But the problem is, is that many times we, <laughs> we, you, many times it's, 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 when we add in number four, which is that mankind would properly love one another, we, we, we tend to think that we can do number three without doing number four. But they actually work hand in hand, and one cannot exist without the other. First John chapter four, verse 20 says this, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Uh-oh. Remember I told you there's commandments? And this commandment have we from him. This is verse 21. That he who loveth God love his brother also. Did you see that? I hope you saw that. That was First John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. I love God. But I don't really like him. I don't love, I don't really like her. I don't really care for them. I mean, I love God but I can't stand him. I, I can't stand her, but I, I love God. But I don't love him and I don't love her, but I love God. No, no. See, we tend to separate the two because, and the reason why we separate them, we tend to separate them because dealing with them separately, as opposed to collectively, those two things versus the, you know, the, the, the third and fourth um, things to know. Sometimes it helps us, it helps better, it helps us to, um, it helps us better build our understanding of things, both spiritual and natural, when we, when we, when we take things apart, when we kind of separate things apart. Problem is, is that when we take things apart and separate them for the purpose of our understanding, 
we we have to be cautious and we have to remember to put them back together okay especially if they go together we run into trouble because we take them apart for the purpose of understanding but we don't ever put it back together and because we don't put it back together we start treating them as if they are mutually um 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 independent of one another okay we start think we start act at we start to to operate as if these things are not connected Okay, we tend to deal with these things separately, loving God and loving man, we tend to deal with, deal with them separately to, you know, and we do that to try to understand certain aspects and elements of it. And, but the problem is, is that because we do that, we start to look at loving God and loving man as two totally, two things that are completely independent. Okay, no, they're not, they're not completely independent. Because one of them, you absolutely, you cannot have without the other. Do you understand? And that is what the, that is what the apostle, okay? That is what he's teaching us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, okay? That's what he's talking about, okay? A man or a woman's love for God that is devoid of love for their fellow man or for mankind. Do you hear what I'm telling you? So, and when we say mankind, remember we talked about Leviticus 18, chapter 19, 18 and 34, and we learned who our neighbor was. We learned that that's the whole world, okay? A man or a woman's love for God that is devoid of love for their fellow man. So not just, <laughs> so you can't not just love for your brother and your sister. If you got a so-called love for God, but you don't, but you missing love for humanity, for everybody, then what John, 1 John 4 and 2021 is trying to tell you is, is that your love for God is not real love at all in God's eyes. You can't have a love for God and no love for anybody else talking about you love God. In God's eyes, you have absolutely no love for him whatsoever. It will never be acknowledged by God and it will never be accepted by God. And we got to be careful when it concerns this. And I'm wrapping this up. We got to be careful when we start walking in that area of, of I love God. I, I appreciate God. I, 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 I love God. All the while you backstabbing and talking and, and, and burning down all kind of crazy stuff. You got some people that you're going to treat better than others and others that you're going to treat worse. You got to be careful when it comes to that. Because you can't have that talking about you love God. God's never going to accept that. This is what John was talking about when he, when he told you, when he said, if a man say, I love God and, and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, 
How can he love God whom he hath not seen? Do you realize that the apostle was saying, now hold on. He was saying, let, let me, he was saying, let me check you at the door. The apostle was saying, now listen, for all you who are going around saying that I love God, but you're hating your brother. He says, even I know that the first barrier that you got to go through when it comes to loving God is getting through the barrier that you can't actually physically see him. And he says, and, I, and what he was telling me was that I, he understood human nature, that people have an easier time grasping and, and latching onto what they can see versus what they cannot see. In other words, it's easier to love your brother than it is to love God on the grounds that you can see your brother. So he's saying, now, if you can't love your brother, who you can see, and that would be arguably easier, he's saying, don't even try to sell it to me that you love God. You don't love God. We got to be careful with that because if you die in that state, of talking about you love God, but you're all right, but you're hating somebody. If you die in that state, it will void one's ticket to heaven. You can be baptized, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, but you will let that root of bitterness, you let hatred reside in your heart and you die that way. Let me tell you something. That's going to cancel your flight to heaven. And the reason why it's going to do that is because in the end, if you die that way, the presence of that hatred in the end will convict you on the grounds of murder, according to scripture. God bless you, brothers and sisters. And uh, next week, we will pick this. Looks like we're going to pick this back up. And I'm going to expound further what that means that it will convict you on the grounds of murder, according to scripture, as we build on this theme, talking about biblical compassion, because we certainly need it. And we want to avoid the pitfalls that come up when we don't have that. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.